Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. May the Lord have a blessing to the hearers, readers, and doers of his word. Thank you. Thank you, Michael, for that good reading. It's, it's kind of troubling, isn't it, that, that text, because it uh, takes us way on down to the Day of Judgment, and, and uh, with some, it's going to be a very unhappy day. What I want to suggest to you that we talk about, however, is the fact that he's discussing with some individuals here, with the church at Thessalonica, about the fact because they are believers, and I'm talking to a house full of believers, because they are believers, he's saying, I want you to be worthy of the kingdom. Worthy of the kingdom. Now regarding feeling worthy, uh, let's, let's look at a text, for instance, in, in the book of Luke chapter 7, in the first 10 verses, Now I'll just paraphrase this to you, or not paraphrase it, just pick up some things that are there, but but Jesus was involved in his te- teaching ministry. And a fellow got word of the fact, wind of the fact, that he was in the neighborhood. And the man was a Roman centurion. Now this Roman centurion had a hundred men under him, plus all the servants and all the suppliers, and all the support group that he needed to maintain that group of soldiers, warriors. Now he... It's, the text tells us that he had a servant that was sick. This centurion, not one of his soldiers, but a servant was sick. And so he called the elders of Israel, the, the Jews that served in his area, and they, they were uh, apparently familiar to him and with him because he called them and asked them if they would do him a favor and go ask Jesus if he would come, if he would heal his servant. And he said, he said uh, the Jews came to him, the, the leaders came to him and said, this man, we, we love this guy. He's good to us. He's built us a temple. He's built us a tabernacle so we can worship and have our Sabbath day worships, worship services. They said, they said that, and as a matter of fact, if you'll do this, do it because he is worthy. That's what they said. They said, this guy's worthy. You need to pay some attention to what what he's asking you to do. The, he, was, he was asking him to heal his servant. And so the problem was that the centurion soldier told the leaders in Israel, these people, he said, he said, don't, don't have him come to my house. He said, I'm not worthy. That's what he said. I'm not worthy. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm not even worthy for it. Go tell him, don't, don't make the trip. I'm not even worthy for him to come under my roof. Don't ask him to come. I'm not worthy of him. And you know, Jesus' response was, I haven't found such great faith in Israel. This guy's full of faith. And he apparently, he was worthy. Well, let's recognize when we talk about the kingdom. And Paul said you need to be worthy of the kingdom. A believer needs to be worthy of the kingdom. Let's recognize that where Jesus 
resides, where he lives, is where his kingdom is. So he's actually saying, in, in, in Thessalonians, he's saying, you should be worthy of the presence of Jesus in your life. That's what he's saying. You need to be worthy. Jesus comes into your life, the kingdom. He brings his kingdom. That's where his kingdom is. It's in your heart. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ who passes all knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. That's Jesus. Christ dwelling in your heart. So let's just get that issue out in front of us right away. And that is that he's asking the fact, he's making the statement, you need to be worthy, let's be worthy of the presence of Jesus in your life. You need to be worthy. Someone says, hey, wait, 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 preacher. I'm unworthy. Well, sure, you're, you're not sinless. But he's, say, he's talking to believers. He's not saying... You're, you're, uh, God is going to respect you and therefore He's going to save you because you're worth it. That's not what He's using. That's not what the word worthy means, by the way. The existence of Jesus Christ and His kingdom in our life is faith-based. If He's not in your life, it's because you don't believe in Him. If He is in your life, it's because you believe that He's there. Your life with God is faith-based. Absolutely, empirically, definitely, without reservation. That's how Jesus lives in your life, is through your faith in Him. Now, the fact that Paul said by the Holy Spirit that the Thessalonians, or the, those, those believers in Thessalonica, should be counted worthy of the kingdom, urges the fact that it means that it could be. He, they could be. You can be worthy. So now let's take a look at the word before we go any further. The word worthy is from the word axios in the Greek. Now the New Testament was written in the Greek. Jesus probably spoke in Aramaic. But the Holy Spirit decided that the Greek language, which was that universal language that has the expressiveness needed to portray the thoughts of heaven into the hearts of men, chose the language of Greek. Greek language. Now that word axios is where we get our word axle. Does anybody know what an axle is? An axle is under your car. And you know what it does? It supports the weight of the vehicle. When, if you're a truck driver, or if you know anything about trucks and about long hauling trucks, big trucks, trucks that carry a lot of weight, when they go through the scales to weigh them, you know what they weigh them by? By the axle. Why? Because the axle is carrying all the weight. So the point is, he's saying, I want you to carry the weight of Jesus Christ. I want you to carry the weight of the kingdom. I want you to be worthy of the kingdom. Let's examine that. And let's take a look at the fact that God expects us to be because Jesus is a guest in our home, in our heart, in our life, that we need to be and we should be a worthy host or hostess. Back in Luke chapter 7, uh, this, this, it's an interesting text because Luke mentions things like this quite a bit, but, but he's talking about, he talks about a time when Jesus 
was invited into a person's home. The guy's name was Simon. He was a Pharisee. And in Luke chapter 7, the beginning of verse 36 through 50, Jesus was invited into the home of Simon, who was having a, a banquet, having a party. Now, we, we have to take a look at this make sure that we know what's going on, because there were some guests there that actually weren't invited. So he, he must have been opening it up for everybody and saying, uh, I'm going to have a party, I'm going, to have a, I'm going to have a feast, and I'm going to invite Jesus. And so a lot of people came. A lot of folks came in. Included in those who came in was a prostitute. A woman who was a streetwalker. And when she got there, the first thing she did was would get down on her hands and feet, hands and hands and knees, and kiss the feet of Jesus. And she was crying. She was upset. And she was washing his feet with her tears and drying them with the hairs of her head and, and anointing her feet, his feet with oil that she had. Oil then was precious, some kind of anointing oil. It was precious. And you know what Jesus said to Simon? He said, you know, Simon, he said, uh, he turned to the woman, he said, he said, your sins are forgiven you. And then he turned to Simon, Simon opposed, objected to that, and he said, he said, see this woman, Simon? I entered into your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. You've got to be thinking in terms of you've got a house for Jesus. And Jesus comes into your house, how do you treat him? How did Simon treat him? Simon treated him as an oddity. Simon did not magnify Jesus. He didn't give him any oil. Well, see, well, what's oil? He didn't anoint his head. He said, you didn't give me, you didn't give me any water for my feet. He said, you didn't give me a kiss. You, you didn't anoint my head. How did he treat him? Just like some kind of ordinary off-the-street oddity. That's how he treated him. He, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, honored that Jesus was his guest. That's what they did with honored guests. The anointing all, we're told in Matthew chapter 6. When you fast, uh, be sure and put anointing all on your head and your face. Wash your hands, wash your feet, so that people can't see that you're in distress while you're fasting, that you're going hungry. Well, the, the anointing all was, was a, a sort of an act of honor to a guest. It's like when your guest comes into your home and they've been on a long trip, you say, would you like to refresh yourself? He didn't ask Jesus that. He didn't grab him and give him a kiss. We don't usually kiss strangers. But we shake their hand, we pat their back, we give them a hug, we let them know you're very welcome, you're, you're honored in our home. We like it, you're here. He, 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 they ignored Jesus. But this woman didn't. He didn't give him a kiss. He didn't give him anything to refresh himself like anointing him, his head with oil. He said, uh, but this woman, from the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And anoint my feet with oil. You didn't do that, Simon. Now, Simon and the Pharisees, his Pharisaic pals, disrespected Jesus. We know what respectful behavior is, don't we? Now, if Jesus is in our home, and of course that's, that the Bible says that we are the house of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 4 says that he is the head of his own house, whose house we are. 
So when he comes into your home, how do you treat him? Is he in your house? We know how to treat a guest, don't we? With honor. Put them at the head of the table. Make sure that they are given the honor that is due them. We don't use coarse language, do we? Now, when we were younger, Bonnie and I, we had little guys, little kids. And we, we don't have that much control over our grandkids and great-grandkids, but we had a lot of control over our children. And we said, listen, when you, you're going to have to talk to adults with respect. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. That's exactly it. We were called on the carpet at our school. This is under attack, by the way, respect for adults. Children are told, children are not taught respect. In our home, they were, they were respected because we taught them that. We were called on the carpet at the school. Teacher said, I, I want you to tell your children not to call me sir, not to call me ma'am. But we got that all the time. Sorry, sorry, Charlie. We're going to call them, we're going to tell them to be respectful to you. And it was, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And it still is. Well, we, we don't, if Jesus is in our home, we want to make sure that our, our language is not offensive to him. Have you heard this statement, oh, my God? Have you heard that? That's, that's the latest expletive, isn't it? Jesus is in your home. Are you going to swear by His Father's name in your home, in your house? Is that how you're going to treat the guest, your guest, Jesus? It says we need to be a worthy host, a worthy hostess. We, have, we should have respectful manners before our Lord Jesus. Respectful environment for Him. People should know around us. People should be able to see it, and we should be able to do it, that Jesus Christ is highly respected by us. We don't use His Father's name in vain. We don't use filthy, vulgar language in the presence of our Lord in His house. We are His house. We don't use that kind of language with Him. We don't carry pornographic material and leave it in our home for Him. We don't do things that would shame Him in our home because we are worthy. We're going to carry the weight of Jesus. We're going to carry His weight. And when we talk about the home, we, we have to remember that we are building our life with Jesus. It, it's a life. It's not a hobby. We're not, we're not building little model airplanes air, and toys and cars and model air, train tracks and so forth. We're building lives we're building a life with Jesus. And we're laying a foundation with Jesus. Paul said, Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. When we decide we're going to be worthy of Jesus, we need to be a worthy builder. Build right. If you've been watching some of the devastation of Hurricane Dorian or some of the other hurricanes and storms, vicious storms, violent storms that have gone on, you've seen that there are some structures still standing after the storm. You know which ones they are? You sure you do. The ones that have a good sturdy foundation and have been well built with good material. Sturdy material. Material that will stand the ravages of time and effort. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 at verse 10, 
According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another man builds builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. Now if any man build on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, wait, gold, silver, precious stones, then he shifts gears. Wood, hay, stubble. Remember the story of the three little pigs? I'll huff and puff and blow your house down. The one house he couldn't blow down was the one that was built out of brick. Sure. (laughs) Somebody knows that story besides me. You do. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Build your house strong. Build it with good material. Build it with honesty. Build it with integrity. Don't establish your life on a foundation of lies. You know, Jesus said that there's a wise man that builds on, on the rock and there's a foolish man that builds on the sand. We need to know, we should know, if we're going to bear the weight of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to bear the weight of a worthy builder that we're going to build true. We're going to make sure that we build according to God's Word. We're going to make sure that we know what kind of character we're developing in ourselves. We're going to make sure that we're not building our life on the wispy smoke of lies and of fraud and of failure and of disappointment and of not being able to, for people to depend upon us. We need to be, have a place where Jesus can rest His kingdom in our lives as worthy builders. And then, worthy warriors. You know, this is, this is one that uh, really, really escapes us sometimes. A lot of us as believers in Jesus Christ don't understand that we're in a fight. We're in a fight for our lives. We're in a fight for our souls. We're not, we're not back in our, in our, we're in a fight daily. The devil never rests. He is, he, is, he is like a lion that stalks about seeking whom he may devour 24-7. In order to serve God, we need to be worthy warriors. Paul sounded the call for gospel warriors in 1 Timothy 6 at verse 12 when he told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Now, Jesus didn't land on this earth to quibble over minor issues and a nitpick. Jesus came down here to talk about major issues. Things that affect your heart. Things that will turn you into good people or ruin your life. That's what he's discussing. That's what he talked about. He talked about justice and truth and mercy. He talked about everything that it takes to make us worthy of the kingdom. Now, I'm going to take you to a text in Ephesians chapter 6 very quickly where Paul said you're in a fight you're a warrior and, and a good warrior knows there's a fight going on doesn't he? doesn't she? you've got to know there's a fight you have to know where the battle is you can't run around wondering at where the fight is the, the battle is for our soul it's for your soul the devil wants you. 
That's what Paul told, that's what Jesus told Peter. He said, the devil has desired you so he can sift you like wheat. Now the devil can't sift a warrior like wheat. He can't sift Jesus' warrior. But, but Jesus told Peter, he said, that that's what the devil wants of you. Now then, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on, your, on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace, above all things, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication, in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now he said, here's your, here's your battle gear. Here's what you put on because you're going to fight. I'm telling you, you're in a fight. And I will tell you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, you're in a fight. Amen. You're in the fight of your life. And you need to know that. You need to stand up and say, well, okay, I, I, need, I need to be ready for it. I need to do it. Now Paul said, in another text, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, he said, We walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. Well, the weapons of our warfare is the Word of God. What are we trying to do? We're trying to stand. We're trying to, we're trying to resist the power of the evil one. We're trying to make sure that our hearts remain firm with God, and that we do not... We do not compromise with the devil. You say, well, where is this fight? <laughs> Probably at your house. <laughs> That's where it is. Toward my house. The fight's in my heart. I need to, I need to make sure that I, I can win this battle. And I, sometimes I need your help. I, I'd like to stand, and I, it's an honor for me, to stand shoulder to shoulder with other warriors for Jesus. Where is the fight? If you haven't noticed lately, we're being overrun with immorality. Overrun. Since the, since the uh, decision of Roe versus Wade, the abortionists have been dipping their fingers in the blood of the unborn. And what does a Christian do? The Christian says, what does God's warrior do? Does, does God's warrior say, okay, I accept that, that's okay? You know, murder is murder. Indiscriminate taking of a human life. And yet we're told, we're ridiculed if we don't accept it. Over 40 years ago, a man, a neighbor, came to our door and knocked on the door. And he had his little daughter with him, the same age as one of our daughters. He said, do you mind taking care of our, our little girl for a while? He said, uh, my wife and I have to run down to the clinic. She's getting an abortion. And it stunned me. I thought, I said, why? And he said, well, we just don't want to be bothered with another child. Indiscriminate abortion on demand without any reason. No medical reason, nothing. I just want an abortion. Because 
this child's going to be an irritation to me, and it's going to be a, it's going to be something that will dis, discomfort me. And so the government says, okay, not only are we going to allow abortions, but we're going to pay for them. And as a matter of fact, it's not us. A politician never spends his own money on these things. It's your money. It's my money. If I get a chance to vote against it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand up for the Lord and I'm going to say, no, I don't think that's right. I don't believe that's right. Those who oppose it are sometimes, and most of the time, ridiculed and humiliated. You're behind the times. What are you? Are you a moralist? What are you? A Bible thumper? What? All of a sudden you get all the repercussions. And some are even taking people who resist this to court, suing them. God bless the warrior that stands up and says, No, I'm not going to endorse that and I'm not going to accept it in my life. In my family. It's, not going to touch, it's not going to touch me or those that I love. It's not going to happen. Homosexuality is being touted now as normal and natural. I know we're a little bit behind France, but we're, we're coming. We're making up some ground. We are blatantly subjected to parades, rainbow parades, on the streets of our major cities with all the obscenity and nastiness involved in all of that. It's thrown up in our faces. And if you oppose it, you say, wait a minute, Romans chapter 1 says, God does not approve of man with man or women doing those things that are unseemly. He doesn't, he doesn't approve of that. We're told that we are homophobics. We're told that, hey, you, you, can't, you can't be opposed to homosexuality. If you are, it's illegal. Well, then it's illegal. Because as a warrior, to be worthy of Jesus Christ, I have to stand with Him. He's opposed to that. I'm opposed to that. I'm opposed to that on grounds of the Scripture, not on my personal grounds and my personal feelings. Someone said, well, these people can't, can't help it. Well, you know, when, when people are born, they have all sorts of propensities. The drug addict says, well, I can't help it. I have that. No, it's a normal propensity. I mean, it's, it's just a normal reaction. Well, control it. That's what the Bible says. Get a hold of it. Homosexual says, well, I was born this way. Well, I can, I can treat you as a good, normal human being, but I can't accept your lifestyle because the Bible says it's wrong. Get, a, get control of that. The fornicator says the same thing. The murderer says the same thing. Everybody that wants to indulge their lust says the same thing. It is something that I can't help. Uh, something I can't help. My friend, the Bible doesn't, doesn't describe it in that, in that sense. Fornication and adultery and the taking of human lives and homosexuality. You know, the sexual revolution started back in the 1960s. Some of you were around for it, some not. Free love, it was called. Free love. And so all of a sudden, the, the marriage contract was under attack. Why, why do you have to get married? We'll just, we'll just live together and try it out. If it doesn't work, we'll go our separate ways. So we don't care. We don't, it's just a, it's just a people, piece of paper. Marriage contract, just a piece of paper. Is it? How about your deed to your property? What's that? 
How about your birth certificate? What's that? How about your, your uh, citizenship papers? What's that? They're just paper. Are they really? Your marriage contract is your vow and your determination that I'm going to live with this person forever until death do us part. That's what, that's what the Bible says. One man and one woman. That's how it started out. Didn't last very long, did it? But that's what God says He wants. Someone says, oh, you're being old-fashioned, Bill. You're being old-fashioned. Well, I'm telling you, friend, it's not going to help for me to cave in. It's not going to get any better. People are not going to honor the marriage better if this warrior steps aside and lays down his armor and puts aside his sword. It's not going to get any better. The battle, battle requires the fact that we stand up and we do what we need to do. And we're going to be abused for it. I've just named some issues. Is there a fight going on? Is it overcoming this country, our country? Is it overcoming our neighborhood? It absolutely is. Is it overcoming you in your home? That's the question. Are you being overwhelmed? Are you, are you saying, okay, I quit. I'm not going to fight this anymore. I don't want to take the abuse. You know what happened to Jesus? He went to the cross and what were they doing? They were abusing Him. Hey, you think you're the Son of God? Get off that cross. They were taunting Him. He said He despised the shame. He despised the shame and He endured the cross. As a warrior, I would rather go down fighting than lay my armor aside and go off as a prisoner of war. And just as soon as we quit, just as soon as you quit, you can end up in chains with your head bowed and marching off in a long line of those who have been defeated on their journey to hell. Some of you may have seen some of the depictions of the Bataan Death March of World War II where the Japanese took the American and Philippine forces captivity and marched them off to Fort, I think it was Fort McDonald, from one end of the Philippine Islands to the next, and abused them, killed them, tried to starve them because they, they despised them. You know why they despised them? Because they said they were cowards. They gave up. They gave up. Well, Sometimes we get discouraged and we say, well, why should I keep fighting the forces of evil? Why should I keep standing up for that which is right? Why do I, why do I keep making sure that I, I'm, I'm not a liar? Why, do I, why am I still trying to build my house? Why am I still trying to be a warrior? <coughs> what about other people? Where are the other warriors? You're not going to find the other warriors clubbing. You're not going to find the other warriors out somewhere doing doing something that they shouldn't be doing, down on the beach having a kegger. You're not going to find other warriors there. If you want other warriors to stand with, you know where you're going to find them? Right here. Right here. And you're going to find them in Bible classes. What are they doing? They're sharpening their swords. Of all the armor that God has given us, the helmet of salvation, the, the shield of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the sword, girding your lawns with, with the truth and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, 
He doesn't give you any protection for your backside. If you're going to run for it, you're going to have to run for it on your own, by yourself. Because he's not going to protect you. Alright. If we're looking for fellow warriors, we need to be looking where, they, where, they're, where they're sharpening their swords. We need to be at a place where they're all encouraging one another and saying, Hey, I know where the fight is here. Let's, let's, let's make sure that we, we're strong here. Let's make sure that we keep the bulwarks in, in place. The, uh, the battle that we're facing is for our hearts, the hearts of men and women. We don't carry a white flag. I don't carry a white flag. Do you carry a white flag so that just in case you need to surrender? We don't carry that. We carry the banner of Jesus Christ. There's, there's a couple of statements that, uh, that I've come across recently among warriors, earthly warriors. One is, you leave no man behind. If your companion falls, go get him. Bring them home. Get them. Bring them back. Don't let them just drift off. And the other is, we are always in the fight. We're never out of the fight. We're never out of the fight. We don't give up. Get in the fight, my friends. Get in the battle with, for righteousness with Jesus Christ. He doesn't uh, conscript you. He won't, he won't uh, draft you. You're going to have to volunteer. You're going to have to volunteer. Volunteer course. You know this country was, was uh, freed from English, the English monarchy with a volunteer army. That's how we got our freedom. Volunteer army. And that's how the freedom of Jesus Christ, warriors, and the church is going to take place because of volunteers. Step up. Say, I'm, count me in, brother. Count me in. I'll stand with you. Let's do it. Let's sing the song of invitation. Shall we stand?